That song and, and that last refrain really sums up the series that we've been uh, looking at in the book of Habakkuk. He is Lord, Lord of all. We're coming tonight to the end of our uh, short time, just a four-week uh, or four-message series uh, with the book of the prophet Habakkuk. And I feel a little sad about that. Uh, I was hoping I could maybe stretch it out for one more week to next Sunday, uh, my last time with you uh, for the month of September, uh, because I take off then to Canada for three weeks, but uh, I wasn't able to stretch it out. Uh, um, that's probably all, all to the good. But, you know, I feel a little bit sad because as I've got to know this Old Testament prophet, I've also come to admire him uh, in so far as he was very spiritually honest with God. You know, we sometimes think that God doesn't know what's going on in our lives and we can kind of hide it from him or keep it from him, but God knows everything. And, and Habakkuk was very honest with God. I spent quite a few hours with Habakkuk over the last few weeks and I've developed a kind of a, a kindred spirit in a way with, uh, with this man uh, in many ways because uh, especially in, in, in the area of our general title for this series, Trusting God When It Makes No Sense. I've been there, I've been there many times before, and I'm sure the Lord spares me to live some years on into the future. There'll be other times when I've come to that place where life doesn't seem to make sense, and uh, I have to trust God. But, you know, at the end of the day, all good things must eventually come to an end, mustn't they? Uh, so I've entitled our final message, Rejoicing in Faith, Regardless of Anything. That's quite a statement. A statement, quite a statement to live up to. Um, or you could say, giving thanks when there doesn't seem much to be thankful for at times. Well, that really sums up, I think, the attitude of Habakkuk by the time he arrives into chapter 3. There's only three chapters in Habakkuk. We've looked at the first two. We're now coming to chapter 3. You remember his first dilemma was why God would let his people stray so far away from him into sin and all sorts of things. And then secondly, he couldn't, couldn't quite figure out why God would use such an ungodly, uh, unholy people as the Babylonians to bring judgment on the people. Uh, and so he was totally confused. He was, he was puzzled. He was perplexed by what he didn't understand. And you remember that we, we saw how instead of staring helplessly in the face of his problem... You know, sometimes we get into a situation, we get into a, a circumstance, we have a problem, and we kind of are in the midst of it. We don't know what to do, where to go, what to say, and we're like deer caught in a headlight, uh, or a rabbit caught in a headlight. We, we just can't move. We, we don't know what to do. And, and so that's kind of where Habakkuk had found himself. Uh, he, he couldn't figure out um, what was going on and what God was going to do and what that was all about. And... Uh, you know, he, he stepped back from the problem. If you remember in an earlier message, he stepped back and he stood on the solid ground of what he did know about God. What he knew uh, that his faith assured him about who he knew God to be. And I think that's good advice. Uh, if we were to just leave it at that for tonight, that's good advice to take home tonight. Whenever we're in a confusing situation uh, and we feel perplexed and, and all the rest of it, you know, take a moment to stand back from it. And, and don't try to figure out what you don't know, but figure out who you do know, and that's God, if indeed you do know him. And, and, and allow him to come into that circumstance and to give you some reassurance that it's going to be okay. 
And so, uh, instead of worrying about why things were going the way they were going and why in the world God was allowing all this uh, and that to happen, he just stood back and he said, now, hang on a minute, let me think here, hang on. My God's an eternal God, he said. Uh, he's a righteous God. He can't stand sin. That's, that's okay, I understand that. And he's got to punish sin. Yes, God will punish sin. He, he loves the world, but he, he's a just God. Like we said this morning, he will punish sin. And God never does anything wrong. He always does what's right. And that kind of settled him a little bit earlier on in, in what we, we read in the earlier uh, verses, chapters 1 and, and 2. And he began to tie down in his own mind and to be content with that which he did know about God. And once he had established the fact that he did, of what he did know about God, uh, it was much easier for him then to cope with what he didn't know about the circumstances that were happening around him. When we come now to chapter 3 in this last message, God has already given him the answers to the questions that he needed. Yes, God wasn't oblivious to the sin of his people. Yes, God was going to do something about that. Yes, he was going to bring judgment on his people by allowing the Babylonians to plunder and to take them away in captivity. And yes, he would also deal with and totally destroy the Babylonians themselves as an ungodly people. And so God has answered, uh, completely answered Habakkuk's prayer complaints. And now in chapter 3, we have his response. It's in the form of a beautiful prayer poem. And we'll see that Habakkuk learns to rejoice in faith regardless of anything. So if you have your Bibles with you tonight, uh, I just encourage you to open up at uh, Habakkuk. Uh, five from the back of the Old Testament. And we're just going to read a few verses at the start of the chapter and towards the end. So beginning in, in, in verse 1 at the start of the chapter, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. He said, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. And then going on to verse 16, he said, I heard and my heart pounded and my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there's no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and he enables me to go on to the heights. And we know God will bless even the reading of his word. You know, we see in today's world an increasing number of people and sadly people in the church and sadly leaders even in the church, the evangelical church, that when the circumstances get a little tough, they abandon ship. They give up on their faith. I'm reading about that all the time. People who just say, well, I used to believe, but I don't believe anymore, so I'm giving up being a Christian, and so on. They abandon ship. But it happens, it happens everywhere, really, not just in ministry, not just in the church. It happens everywhere, whether it's their marriage relationship or their church relationship or their personal faith relationship. The question that we're all faced with when the going gets tough in life is will we as God's people, will we stay the course? Will we remain standing when we have 
you know, questions. And even uh, when the world around us is collapsing, will we still trust God? Big question. Habakkuk was a man of God who said with the psalmist, Psalm 34, 19, the righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. What a promise. Because he himself had come to the place where he had accepted the reality of life that we all have we all have hard times and we all have troubles from time to time. Some are small, of course, and some are overwhelming. Uh, and, and you know, when, when, when trouble comes, you, you know you've got trouble when certain things happen. You know, you know you've got trouble when you arrive for work and your boss tells you not to bother taking your coat off. <laughs> you know you've got trouble, right? <laughs> your car horn gets stuck on the motorway right behind, right behind a large group of hell's angels, you, you know you've got trouble, right? Sometimes we have to laugh at our troubles just to keep our sanity. And that's not a bad thing, but we can't laugh at all of our troubles all of the time. And uh, you don't need me to tell you this evening that the world in which we live is in big, big trouble. It's in big trouble. And neither world governments, G7s, G20s, G I don't know, 50. World governments and politicians are not going to be able to fix it. Only Jesus will be able to fix it when he comes again. Anne Graham Lutz, who is the daughter of Billy and Ruth Graham, is a keen observer of contemporary events. And five years ago, in a call to North American Christians to spend seven days in fervent prayer, she wrote, one of the things that God has impressed on me, she said, with what we're facing in the world at large, is that we're living at the end of human history as we know it. This is about calling God's people together to pray before it's too late and judgment falls on our nation. That was five years ago. One phrase in, in that statement that she made uh, uh, to call for a season of prayer for revival stood out for me and it was this one, before it's too late. Before it's too late. Sin and evil is running rampant in our world and we desperately need the Holy Spirit to come and to cleanse and revive us and we desperately need godly men and godly women to display the beauty and the glory of God in the way that they live because there's coming a time when judgment will begin. Sooner or later we all have to face the consequences and the choices uh, that we make in life. And this is true for both individuals and for nations. Because you can't mock God forever. You can't ignore God or pretend that he isn't there. You can't do as you please without realizing that judgment from God will come. Today, perhaps, or tomorrow, but it will eventually come. And it always begins, it seems, according to the scriptures, with God's own people. If judgment begins in the house of the Lord, what's it going to be like for everybody else? You see, our times today are not much unlike the days of Habakkuk. God had clearly told him, judgment is coming. And Habakkuk was beginning to understand this, beginning to get a little bit of a grip on it, even though he didn't like to hear it. But when we come into chapter 3 now, the whole tone of the book changes. And it's interesting, uh, the interesting thing that I want you to kind of see tonight is that nothing has changed in Habakkuk's outward circumstances. There's still sin and all sorts of stuff going on and injustice in his world and God is still going to send judgment and all of that. 
In fact, things are going to go from bad to worse. And Habakkuk has become a changed man on the inside. And he starts rejoicing in faith and thankfulness regardless of anything that is or will happen to him. Apostle Paul says, you, you know this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you know, it's one thing to give thanks when we're blessed. Blessed with so much. And who here tonight wouldn't say that they're blessed, that they're not blessed rather. We're so blessed. We're a blessed people. But how can we have this attitude of thanksgiving continually? As Paul says, especially as Paul says, in all circumstances. You know, it's really a matter of perspective, isn't it? How you see things. So I want you just for a moment to think about how you would respond if you got this letter, a letter like the following one I'm going to read to you from your daughter who had recently left home to go off to university or college. He opened up the letter and said, Dear Mom and Dad, Sorry I haven't written sooner, but my arm has been broken. I broke it on my left leg when I jumped from the second floor of my dorm when we had the fire. Get in the picture? We were lucky because a young petrol station attendant across the road saw the blaze called the fire department. They were there in minutes, but I was in hospital for a few days. Paul, the petrol station attendant, came to see me every day. And because it was taking so long to get our dorm livable again, I moved in with him. So nice. I have to tell you that although I'm now pregnant, Paul and I plan to get married as soon as he can get a divorce. <laughs> Hope things are fine at home. I'm doing fine and will write more when I get a chance. Love, your daughter Susie. Yes. Of the above is true. Well, I see in sociology, failed in chemistry, so I just wanted you to receive this news of my grades in their proper perspective. <laughs> to be thankful in all circumstances, we need a proper perspective of our circumstances and of God, of course, because only then will we be able to give thanks to the Lord always. You might think that it was easy for Paul to say, well, give thanks in all circumstances. But it really wasn't. He suffered from a, a thorn in the flesh for a while. He'd been run out of town. He'd been beaten. He'd been whipped. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been betrayed by friends. He was left cold and hungry on one occasion. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned because of his faith. Yet Paul never stopped rejoicing in faith regardless of all this. And instead he could live life with thanksgiving. And because he had this proper perspective of the burdens of life and of who God is, he could say and write in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Or he could write in, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 12, for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When we, like Paul, have the proper perspective we too can give thanks in all circumstances. In our weakness, God can make us strong. When we're struggling, God is able to work in our lives and he helps us through times that we could never have faced all on our own when we trust him. A woman who was very discouraged because of the many problems in her life was walking down the street and she met a fellow believer who asked, how are you doing today? 
And with a sour look and a, and a bitter tone, she said, oh, not too bad under the circumstances. And the other person quickly responded, well, start living above the circumstances. That's where the joy of Jesus really is. Paul isn't saying that we have to be thankful for our problems. Rather, he says we can maintain an attitude of thankfulness in the midst of them. And being thankful in them allows God to use them for his glory and for our good. Our eyes are to be focused on God and not on the circumstances. We're to live above the shadows of fear and, and rest in the sunlight of our hope and, and our faith in him. And even though, like Habakkuk, we may have a, a long list of troubles, and of course there's some people, and you stop and ask them, they'll be glad to tell you all their troubles, so, so don't ask them. Um, but faith's answer to the storms of life must always be, verse 18, chapter 3, yet I will, yet, even though, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. That type of attitude will enable us to live above the circumstances instead of under them. And joy, of course, is available to everyone, even to those who are stripped of every material possession because joy is to be found in a person through an intimate personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amongst other things, you know, this chapter is an example of Habakkuk's new perspective on the difficulties he and his people were going up against. In the first two verses in chapter 3, in the face of a sure calamity that was about to come on them, the prophet prays for a full manifestation of God's power and for mercy in the midst of judgment. It's as if he's saying, Lord, I know, I know bad times are coming. I accept that now, Lord. I'm not fighting against your plan and your purposes, but Lord, if hard times must come, don't let the Babylonians wipe us out completely. Revive us again, Lord, and remember us in your mercy, uh, or we'll perish. That was his prayer. That's a biblical prayer. Honest and desperate prayer. It's the kind of prayer that God, God loves to answer. His circumstances hadn't changed, but he had changed. And he's now walking by faith and not by sight. And he's living by the truth of God's promises, not, not human reasoning or logic. Habakkuk was no passive spectator to the sad spiritual decline of the nation of Judah, nor was he a passive recipient of the coming judgment. These disclosures of God stirred him deeply and caused him to go to his knees in worship and in prayer. And Habakkuk's telephone-like conversation with God in chapter 1 had become more like a Skype or a FaceTime conversation in chapter 2. But here in chapter 3, as he began to pray for revival amongst him and his people, he was ushered into the very presence of his creator. And he knelt to speak in the presence of the sovereign God. And he records this prayer of praise that we've read part of. He says, I have heard of your fame, Lord. He knew the record of God's mighty works. And this record, this testimony of who his God is and what his God has done in the past fills him with awe and wonder and praise because he believes in faith that what God did in former days, he's able to do today. Amen. He says, do it again, Lord. In our day, in our time, revive us again. And this ought to be the prayer of every thoughtful Christian today at this critical moment in human history with all that's going on in the world. We can't stop <laughs> We can't even slow down the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming back. 
God's calendar is set. And as we look around at an evil world uh, and the cup of iniquity, as it were, that's almost full for this world to drink, God's getting ready to wrap things up. Make no mistake about it. However, I believe like Habakkuk, we have an opportunity to ask him as the psalmist did in Psalm 85 verse 6, will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You you generally don't receive a miracle until you desperately need one. And it seems that God will often not move in power until things have got so bad that his people can do nothing else except cry out to him to do what only he can do. And if that's true, then I'd say we're in a good place these days for a mighty move of God. Revival is the sovereign work of God. He can move from heaven any time that he wants to. And while revival is not worked up from above, if revival fire must come from heaven, then we at least can put the kindling in place. Revival always begins with God, yes, but when Habakkuk prayed for God's work to be revived, he, also, he was also praying that his own faith might grow more and more. If there's going to be revival, there must be a stirring of our hearts by God over what's not happening in the church and what is happening in the world. When British evangelist Gypsy Smith was asked how to start a revival, he said, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, draw a chalk mark all around yourself and ask God to start the revival inside that chalk mark. When he's answered your prayer, revival will be on. Even though we should pray for revival in our churches, we don't need to wait for a spectacular working of God's Spirit in in other people or in other places to experience His power in our own lives. In fact, God's ready right now to bless us personally if we'll meet His condition of obedience and faithfulness. And so Habakkuk is standing in the midst of an absolute dilemma. He's afraid of him for himself and for his people and he can't seem to justify and put the parts of the puzzle all together. But he understands and he accepts that God who made the puzzle, if you like, is always doing what's right. He's caught in a dilemma, but notice he doesn't ask, he doesn't ask for a personal favor to escape the circumstances or the judgment that's going to come. He doesn't pray that God should spare his people. He doesn't even pray that the Babylonians would lose the battle when they eventually come. He doesn't pray for any of these things because he knows who God is. God must judge. But what he does pray is that God's work, his glory, would come to fulfillment. And Folks, when we've arrived at that kind of position in prayer, when we can look at the problems in our life or in the world at large and say, God, it's really not about me. It's not about my comforts. All I really care about God is that in whatever happens to me or anybody else is that you're glorified. Tremendous prayer this really is. And I know, as you do, I'm sure, from personal experience, that the greatest challenge to God being glorified in my life, the greatest challenge is the man that I see in the mirror every morning. That's where revival must begin. I sometimes question, shouldn't, but I sometimes question when I see advertisements, whether it's in the paper or on television or on Facebook, that we're going to have a revival next Thursday. Telling God, you know, 
Thursday, that's when we're going to start. It happened like that. So, Habakkuk had made a choice to go from initially from fear faith. Started out shaking like a leaf in chapter 1. And now he's come to the consciousness of faith in a God that he knows is doing what's right. And his one desire was that things be right according to God's plans and purposes. Not comfortable according to his desires. Not peaceful, not easy, not happy. Just whatever God would ordain. Our prayer ought to sound something like his. We ought to be praying daily, God, would you just be glorified in my life today? Lord, when I walk around, when I go to work, when I go into the shop, when, when, when I'm, wherever I am, Lord, if I'm at school, wherever it is, God, be glorified. Be glorified in my church. God, be glorified in this world. That should be the cry and prayer of every, the heart of every believer. But how often this week, let's just take this past week, how often this week passed at a burden or something else in work or at home or maybe even the church start to weigh you down and you became anxious and you weren't able to rejoice in anything. Habakkuk had the right perspective. What really mattered to him was not his personal circumstances or the circumstances in the world around him, although they were unbelievably bleak. The thing that really mattered to him was that God received the glory due to him. Whatever happens in the world is going to happen. And if there's wars, let me tell you, there's going to be more wars. And if there's no peace now, let me tell you, there's not going to be any peace until Christ returns. Now, that's not to say that I can go through life with blinders on, but we keep the main thing the main thing. Our ongoing, obedient walk of faith in God. And we don't get distracted by anything else uh, that, that might take away from God's glory and how we react to life. So at the end of verse 2, Habakkuk uh, as a, a little kind of kind note, a little note that's very tender and touching uh, at the end. He says, God, I want you to do your work. And then he sort of adds as a PS, but God, in wrath, remember mercy. He knows that God's judgment has to come. He knows that it's the natural result of sin. He knows that God is going to judge, so he doesn't ask God, God, take account of all the little nice things that we've been doing from time to time. He doesn't say, God, remember their, their merits, their good works. He says, God, remember mercy. Oh, God remembered their good works. He wouldn't have anything to remember uh, when you understand what sort of a people they had become. So Habakkuk seems to be saying, God, God, we haven't one thing to offer. One thing to say on our own behalf, we have nothing to commend ourselves except to ask you to act like yourself and put a little mercy in with your judgment. God, he did that at the cross of Calvary. There was great. In actual fact, Habakkuk wouldn't live to see the answer to that prayer. He had to believe it by faith because it was actually 70 years later after the Babylonians had come and, and taken Judah into captivity, and plundered, uh, it was 70 years later, a little faithful remnant wandered back into that land, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And so this is Habakkuk's petition that whatever has to happen, God's going to do his work. But within that work, God will allow some mercy 
for those that continue to be faithful. I'm sure there are some of you here tonight and you've been praying for a long time for something. Praying for an answer to a prayer uh, for a long, long time. In the midst of your difficult circumstances for some answer from God to come and there doesn't seem to be an answer yet, don't give up. Don't give up on God because he will never, ever give up on you. Words of the old gospel song, believe that the answer's on the way, this I know. Jesus said it, I believe it, and it's so. Your heavenly Father knows the need even before you pray so you can rest assured the answer's Trust him in the midst of your circumstances because the greatest test of faith is when you don't get what you want but you're still able to say, thank you, Lord. After his prayer in uh, verses 3 through 15, we didn't read them, but Habakkuk has this vision of God and he comforts himself in remembering how God has rescued his people in the past. He especially focuses, if you read those verses later, on, on the Exodus, the time in the wilderness, the crossing of the Jordan River, a period in which God repeatedly worked spectacular miracles. And we get a flavor of Habakkuk's rising faith by looking at the verbs in those verses 13 through 15, which focus on the defeat of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. It says, you came out, you crushed, you stripped, you pierced, you trampled. This is what God did. He gets the credit and the glory. And like God's people of old, you know, sadly, we can be very short-sighted. We have short memories about the goodness and the faithfulness of God through the years. Oh, yes, we can sing about it like we did this morning. Your goodness follows me, runs after me. But sometimes we're short-sighted when we come to the difficult parts of life to remember God's goodness. Or do you have trouble remembering things? Scientists, you know, at the University of Reading in England... I found that adding blueberries, this is just a little bit of advice on the side, adding blueberries to a regular diet helps improve memory capacity and can even reverse memory loss. The key is flavonoids, I'm told, which are known to boost the part of the brain that controls learning and memory. And researchers are actually looking at how a regular diet that includes blueberries may help improve the memory of Alzheimer's patients. So remember that if you remember nothing else. Blueberries are good for you. I love blueberries. Israelites could have used some blueberries in their diet, at least to judge from how they frequently forgot about the incredible things that God had done for them. And Habakkuk was so overcome by the memory that his heart pounded and his legs trembled, it says in verse 16. And that brings us to verses 17 and 18, which taken together, are an unequivocal statement of faith in God despite circumstances and when life tumbles in around us. You see, Judah was an agricultural economy, a bit like around here in Monaghan, deriving most of her sustenance from crops such as figs and grapes and olives and other produce of the field, as well as livestock, uh, herds of cattle, flocks of sheep and goats. However, even though these sources of substance might fail, Habakkuk sees ultimately that his existence is not based on them, but on their source, God himself. And you know, I was reminded about this when I was thinking about Brexit and all the anxiety there is about Brexit and what's going to happen when it happens, if it happens, and how we're going to get through and we're stockpiling medicines and there's going to be a shortage of food and this, that and the other. Listen, 
God's in control of things. Not the politicians. God's in control. Habakkuk has described here a total economic breakdown. But despite the coming judgment and the suffering that it's going to bring, his faith in God has been strengthened and he inherits a joy that's beyond human logic. Habakkuk's feelings are not controlled by the events around him, but by faith in God. And he, he, he didn't state that he would merely endure in a time of distress. He said that he would exalt, rejoice in the God of his salvation. And the word exult or rejoice literally means to jump for joy. Even to rejoice and dance for joy. And in Hebrew this means to visibly show to all that regardless of how difficult your circumstances may be, they will see that you have chosen to trust God through those circumstances. Amen. They'll see it on your face. They'll hear it come out of your mouth. They won't hear you complaining or holding a, a pity party for yourself. They'll hear you saying, I'm trusting in the God of my salvation. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm living on a high place and I'm trusting God. Amen. Oh, like me, we don't like bad times, none of us. None of us like those bad times. We have to believe that God knows about us and that somehow he will use even our bad times to better us. He'll conform us into the image of of Christ through them. And as you go through the agony and the pain of whatever you have to go through, there will come a time when you'll begin to see that he allowed it to happen for a purpose. You've got to be willing to go through the agony in faith. Miss of it, then we can rejoice. You say, yes, Lord, the dearest thing in life was taken from you. Learned that two and a half years ago when my wife died very suddenly and unexpectedly. 44 years there on Friday. Very quickly I had to learn in the midst of grief. God knows everything. He sees things that I don't see. And he's good. And I trust him. And there's purpose. I may not, may not understand it, this side of eternity, but there's purpose. Because God is a purposeful God. Too many Christians have a God of the good times. Serve God and love him and praise him when all's going well. But what do you do when hard times come? If all you have is a God of the good times, I want to tell you, you don't have the God of the Bible. What do you do then? You can get angry with God or you can give up on God altogether or you can choose to trust God nevertheless. See, often we mistake faith and feelings. Faith isn't about my feelings. That's about my circumstances. Faith chooses to believe when it would be easier to stop believing. And the last verse of Habakkuk is often overlooked, but verse 19 says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. As my feet speaks of our journey through life. Compares us to the sure-footedness of the deer. Deer are a sure-footed animal where the rest of us would slip and slide and eventually fall. They're sure-footed. But if you know the Lord, he'll give you stability in the slippery moments of life and he'll give you grace to stand when otherwise you would fall apart. 
That's, if you like, where the book ends. That's where we too will end our journey with Habakkuk. But let me repeat once again the single, what I believe the single most important observation from Habakkuk is, as the book ends, nothing has changed on the outside. The people of Judah have still forgotten God and will. Violence and idolatry and sin will still reign in Jerusalem. The wicked will still oppress the righteous. And the Babylonians are still, they're at the, at the doors that were still God's appointed instrument of judgment. Hard times are coming. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. Nothing has changed except this. Habakkuk has changed on the inside. We know the Lord. If God is our saviour, we can still have feet that will allow us to stand on the heights in the worst of moments in life. And not only to stand, but also to rejoice with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is at the, is at the heart of our faith, isn't it? Even at the Last Supper, what does it tell us? Jesus gave thanks. Just when everything appeared to be going from bad to worse for him, the next day he would be unjustly condemned, scourged, mocked, crucified till he bled in agony. But in that upper room, as he took the bread and the cup, he was already giving thanks. And we're here tonight because we trust that Jesus has made provision for pardoning us from the judgment of sin. He's taken away our sin by dying on the cross and that can give us the confidence that we need to continue to trust him in life's other difficult circumstances. So as we say goodbye to this prophet of God, I want, you to leave, I want to leave you with some words from a more modern day Habakkuk, if you like, who knew what it means to trust God through very difficult days, both in the world at large as well as personally. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian woman who, along with her father and other family members, helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And she was imprisoned for it. And along with her sister Betsy, they were sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany, where Betsy died on December the 16th, 1944. And it's recorded that before she died, she said to her sister Corrie, there's no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Corrie herself has said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. And she may have been thinking of Habakkuk when she also said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let me say that every one of us here tonight, including probably those who will listen to this audio on the church's website or podcast, every one of us is in one of three places. You're either coming out of a confusing time of life, or you're in a confusing time of life, or you're about to go into a confusing time in life, but you just don't know it yet. I want us to end tonight on a note of rejoicing and thanksgiving. This life we're living is just a momentary existence. And when we go through tough times, we need to remember that our story God's story in us and through us is still unfolding. Still unfolding. Grander story. Uh, within the grander story of the unfolding glory of God. I want you just to uh, just remain seated for a moment before I invite the worship team to come back and we sing our closing song. I want you to watch the screen for a moment. 
as we listen to a great song. And the words will be on the screen, and if you know it, some of you will, why not join in with the song? It's by Linda Randall, who actually is going to be in Armagh. Uh, she's an American singer. She's going to be in Armagh uh, next month. I can't remember the date. This is her song she wrote. It captures the victorious message of Habakkuk, that God is trustworthy in the good times and especially in the bad times. God of the mountain, and he's the God of the valley. Can we just go back to the start uh, of the video and just turn the sound up real good so we can hear the song and maybe even join in?